there. Welcome to the Leading Through the Enneagram podcast. I have some exciting announcements and a great guest on today. I want to start off just by letting all the listeners know that I now have a a program that is online that you can take at your own pace and you can learn more about your type. So it's really for people that um, either know their type and really want to enhance their experience and knowledge about their own type and all of the growth opportunities um, within that particular type and beyond. And then there's also a program for nine, um, for all nine of the types. So if you are curious about learning about all nine of those types, you also get my 120 page guidebook with that. So the link is in the uh, show notes of this. And so please check that out if you are interested in enhancing your knowledge around the Enneagram. So today my guest is Sarah Harker. She is a Enneagram 2. And she and I have so much in common. It's fascinating to me that we didn't know each other within the same organization we were working in for a long time. Um, She and I are both nurses by background. We uh, both had our experience with burnout, which I think is why we're both so passionate about helping others get out of burnout, especially in healthcare. And we were both travel nurses, which um, is a fun little um, connection point as well. So before I was married and had kids, I was out on the road traveling um, across the country and taking care of patients that way, which was a blast. Um, And I'm sure Sarah would say the same thing. Um, She and I, you know, just have so much in common, like I said, around uh, just kind of healing the profession of healthcare And she really has a a great background to share around that and some great opportunities for those of you that may be interested in working with with Sarah. So without further ado, here is Sarah Harker. Thank you, Rachel. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been looking forward to this all week. So you are my first fellow nurse that I've had on the podcast. Really? Yeah, I think it's so fascinating that you and I actually worked for the same organization for a long time, but didn't know each other. And we actually is, connected outside of both of us leaving that organization, which is interesting. So. It is an interesting way that we met and fell in love. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. So yeah, I just want to share a little bit about um, you and I gave the listeners some, some intro here, but we'll just fill in the gaps and um, how we connected. So like I said, we worked at the same organization. We ended up both leaving um, we're doing similar work. So we both have real passion around burnout and burnout prevention, especially in healthcare. You know, I think you and I both know that it's everywhere, but healthcare is really being hit hard. And especially now when it comes to burnout um, and they're really struggling with how to take care of themselves and well-being. So both you and I shared an experience around burnout. And so if Absolutely. you're willing to share just a little bit about that story and how you got yourself out of that period of burnout and now you're thriving. Sure. I'd love to. I am. So I've been a nurse for 10 years and about three years ago, I entered kind of a deep, what I would consider a deep spot of burnout in my career. I was a mom of three kids, a newborn and working my buns off. I would leave in the morning before they were up and get back after they were asleep. And it was just a really hard period of juggling that work-life balance. Um, I started noticing myself waking up in the morning, looking forward to when I can go to sleep that night or going to bed and looking forward to my first cup of coffee the next morning and just really out of character for me. I love experiencing life and being grateful for the small things and just really uh, enjoying life. And it was not where I was at that point. 
Yeah. So that was really when I kind of had my wake up call of what in the heck is going on here? And this is not the way that I want to do life. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes we justify those periods of life um, because, you know, we have three small kids or, you know, we have three right. small kids and this too shall pass. I had a similar right. experience, but it was not passing and mm-hmm. I did not like the way I felt. So, you exactly. know, driving into work thinking, you know, like life should be different than this. I'm not, I'm miserable. What is going on? And this is not who I am. You know, I mean, there was, there was a lot of, of similarities there for me too in my period of burnout. And honestly, you know, I know the World Health Organization has come out with this occupational phenomenon around burnout, but for me, it was more personal burnout. So mm-hmm. um, there's so much that we have as women to juggle and especially yes. now. And I think that that was really my experience. Professionally, I was doing okay. And I actually really enjoyed going into work because yeah. it gave me a break. I didn't have to feed mm-hmm. anybody else. I got to go to lunch, you know, so, so Bathroom that was, on your own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was really actually my safe space for a while. And so, um, I, I do think that there's certainly personal burnout, especially for um, women and moms and caregivers and, and the like. So, so that's a good segue into Enneagram. So did you discover that after your burnout and is that what helped you kind of get a little bit out of that and learn more about yourself? I think the Enneagram definitely played a part in getting out of the burnout. I had known about it for a few years before that, but I think, and Rachel, you'll have to speak to this, but I feel like the friends that I know that are into Enneagram all kind of go through this process of, I figure out my number and then it's like, I am this and I'm in this box. And then they start thinking, oh, but how can I grow through it? Or maybe they stay in the box of this is just me and deal with it. I don't know. But I think at that point I was in the, this, I am this number and I wasn't using it for growth. And then as I started digging my way out of where I was, it really played a big part in that, um, emphasizing my strengths and getting back to that point and seeing, you know, I go to, I'm a two, I don't think we said that yet. (laughs) I'm a two with a three wing, but I go hardcore to an eight in stress. And I think it was really evident there of how to, play back to my strengths and work on growing out of that place. Yeah, no, that's where I see a lot of people get stuck with the Enneagram is they learn their number and they stay there. And that is not the purpose of the Enneagram. I think that actually just reinforces a lot of our bad behaviors totally, and keeps us really stuck. So I think people don't always understand how dynamic the Enneagram is and what we look like in stress, which you're well aware of, which is great because not everybody I talk to is aware of that. So when you start to see those behaviors come out, you can say, hold on, time out. Maybe there's something else going on here. And so it's just a great, I think, kind of GPS for our lives to help us. Totally. Oh, that's such a good way to describe it. GPS. Yeah. 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 And then for you as the two, you look like the healthy side of the type four when you're really growing. So fours are awesome, like super nurturing, compassionate people. They can turn that compassion to themselves, which is really great. They're okay with some of the negative feelings, which a status quo too is not. So they are typically right. like, no, thank you. We'll just stick with all the positivity. So, um, so tell me a little bit about that. Have you experienced some of that growth with the, the healthy side of the type four? Big time. I would say, especially being an entrepreneur, I left the floor uh, two years ago now. Let's see. No, a year ago, officially and started going into my business full time. And when that happened, I would say I was really plugged into that place of growth with a four. I've never considered myself a creative person. I've never allowed myself out of that box. I think I just stayed in the, 
like you said, the positive side of keeping everybody else happy. And when I started exploring more of that foresight, I found out that I am actually really creative. I just always thought that I wasn't. And that really helped me explore being an entrepreneur and playing with some ideas and testing things out and seeing how they work um, as I go and enjoying that process rather than being so set in, is everybody happy while we're here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think everybody has a creative side. I get a lot of clients that will say that they'll say, you know, I don't have any, I don't have a creative or creative bone in my body. You know, they'll yes, say, I used to say that. Yeah. And I think we all have that. I think that we're so used to using the logical side of our brain that we forget we have a creative side of our brain. You know, as kids, we use so much of that creativity and it comes yes. natural to us. And then we start to get into higher level thinking. And then it's like, now we're into strategy and we're into the more logical side of our brains. And we just completely shut off that creative side. So that's another thing I love about the Enneagram is I think it helps us tap into some of that creativity when we are either growing or if we naturally are creative, it can help us get more logical too, which, yeah. is, which is really great. So that's a great balance. Yeah. So type twos, and you can tell me where I'm wrong here, but I've yet to say, have a type two tell me that I'm wrong. Type twos tend to have a problem with saying no. So they are serial people pleasers. They love to please, to help. Tell me a little bit about your experience there, if you have experienced that, and how you've learned to manage that and take some control back of your own, your own life. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question, Rachel. <laughs> um, let's try not to make me cry on my first appearance on your podcast. You okay. I'm all about emotion. Go for it. So, yeah. So I grew up in a home with healthcare providers, which is part of why I have the big passion that I do. My mom has been a nurse. She just retired. Congrats, mom. And um, my dad is, well, she's been a nurse for over 40 years, which is a huge deal in in, um, administration. So I learned a lot from her. And then my dad is an optometrist. And so both people who are super dedicated to saying yes also and helping other people and caring for them. And, I, and I'm the oldest of five. So that's another little background. Yeah. So I was very into the people pleasing. Um, helping is definitely a big part of my nature and some, a part of myself that I really love. But there's definitely that line of saying yes too much and trying to keep, keep things even. And um, I think really exploring the Enneagram helped me figure that out of like, oh yeah, this is where I fit, but also let's push a little bit further. And as I, as I dove into that and into my business, I really realized as I'm helping other people and I'm telling them very clearly, you need to say no to this. You need to back up from this. Why are you saying yes to this? Ask yourself a hard question before you say yes. And I'm like, Sarah, why aren't you doing this yourself? (laughs) So that was probably the biggest biggest awakening for me of, am I practicing what I'm preaching and why am I continuing to say yes to things where I'm spreading myself too thin when in reality, I know I can give so much more when I'm saying no and I'm having those healthy boundaries, but it's definitely still a learning curve. I I would say when I started saying no, I would always follow it with a sorry. And, you know, I remember you saying, I don't know if this was on Tom's podcast, maybe, but no is a a sentence. Uh, what did you say? No is a complete sentence. So yeah, no is a complete yeah. sentence. And I heard that and I was like, oh, that's so challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of type two clients that will actually write out a script. So it's easier now because we often get requests via text or email, yeah. write out a script that's not apologetic, but it feels good to them. So they'll say, oh, I love thank that. you so much for thinking of me. 
right now, this is not in line with my highest priorities. I hope that you find someone that can fill this space and can do a better job than I would in this current time, you know, or, or whatever yeah, that looks great. like. And so I've had a couple of clients do that that are twos because they're like, oh my gosh, it feels like I'm cutting off my arm when I start mm-hmm. doing this. It's hard. And, and that's been really helpful, I think, for them just to have that script and to just say, okay, it's not in line with my priorities. Here we go. This is the message. So uh, I, as a nine, can relate to the people pleasing. So we also struggle a lot with people pleasing. And I'm also always coaching clients around people pleasing and healthy boundaries. And it's also for me to hear I'm a firm yeah. believer in the things that we do preach are often the things we need to also still learn. So to your point, you know, I think we're both still on that journey. It's not something that I think is ever going to just go away and it's going to be right. very easy and natural to us. That's not who we are, but I think we're learning to catch it faster every time and we're learning um, as we move forward. So I think that's the key. And I, you know, I always tell people like, you're never done with this work. You're never going to be done with it. You know, we're always going to be learning and growing and catching ourselves doing old patterns of behavior. And that's normal because we're humans. It's the yes. awareness piece that's really important. Yeah, I think you're right. Totally. And I would be curious to hear your feedback, Rachel, on what you think with the Enneagram, is it more in something that you're raised with and the role that you've kind of played in your family, or is it something that you've kind of grown into? What's your view of that? Yeah. There's the whole argument around nature versus nurture. And so, um, you know, I think we say that Myers-Briggs is typically more nurture based. So it's kind of become, and the the Enneagram is more nature. Like this is who you were born to be. Now, some people get mistyped because of that, because they don't know who they were born to be. They only wow. know who they've been socialized or nurtured to be, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. So that's, that's why I think the mistyping rate for the Enneagram is extremely high. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I mentioned all the time that I was tested as a three. It actually felt mm. kind of great. I was like, that's awesome. I want to be a three. That's so great. That is not who I am. And it took me right. about a year to discover deep down inside who that person really is, who I was born to be, who happens to look like a three in growth but I was not born a three. So I think I was born a nine and I I had periods of growth where I certainly did look like a three. Absolutely. Mm. Um, But I am a nine at heart. So, yeah. And you know, there's arguments around when you land on that personality. Some people say it's before five years old. I'm not sure sure I I buy that. Um, But you know, for me personally, I think that I evolved over time and there were different personalities I tried on. So I yeah. think try things on in childhood. And when there's pain and suffering, we're like, forget it. We're out of here. We're going to protect ourselves. Yeah. So we try something different. And so I, you know, I can see where there's times where I tried on a couple of different personalities in childhood and whichever one created the least amount of pain and suffering for me, that's mm. the one I, I stuck with. And that just happened to be the nine. Mm, that's um, good. I'm going to have to think through that one a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I always encourage people, you know, you can take a test and you can get a number but you need to do the introspective work oh, to really absolutely. get the value of it. And that takes a lot of time. I'm still learning every day. People will say something or I read something new and it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> How did it's I constantly evolving? Yeah. I think I, you know, I've been obsessed with the Enneagram for a while. And so people, when my friends start getting into it, they'll send me a message and ask questions like which tests to take. And I'm one of those people that's like, none of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm very yeah. much on the team of no test because I think when I took it being a two, I was putting the answers I thought that were the right answers instead of accurate even, or maybe they were not that I was like lying and choosing the wrong one, but I just was picking what I thought it was supposed to be. Whereas when I dove in with, um, 
you know, the Enneagram Institute website or some podcast or whatever I was looking at, when you feel like just completely naked, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh yeah, there I am. There's the two, the like yucky parts, the good parts. You know, it's just so evident to me, I think as an introspective person, what, it, what I was, which type I was from hearing that. I also think what you said about being under, what did you say about being under five? That your type shows before you're five years old, did you say? Or after? Oh, so that's what some people believe. I, I yeah. honestly don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I was going to yeah, say, yeah. I wondered with, since you're a mom too, people have asked me what type my kids are. And I'm like, I have no idea. I'm still watching. Yeah. I have ideas for, for one of them. <laughs> yeah. But I, I was curious about that. Yeah, I personally don't think that we should type our young children. I think we can actually end up driving them towards a false self. If yeah. Like, oh my gosh, you're always so objective and you're mm. always so, you know, um, right and wrong. You're a one, you know? And so like yeah. reinforcing that, I think that's where that nurture piece comes in and we can yeah. actually move them away from who they were born to be. So I personally would not even try to type or even really talk a lot about types with the Enneagram until, until my kids are more in their teenage years or when they're ready. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's a a big thing too, when you start to sense that maybe they're ready to learn a little bit more about themselves, but either way, I I would not personally put a label on, on my kids because I do think that you can, they can create a false self because they they hear from mom or dad. Oh, that's what I am. Okay. Yeah. It can be detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. So then they can end up as adults and think I have no idea who I am because I have this false sense of self that isn't really who I am. So that is my personal opinion. I know lots of people that, you know, say my five-year-old's a whatever. That's fine. Yeah. So no, no shame or shade. It's just not what I would recommend. Just your opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this podcast is all about leadership through the Enneagram. So can you tell me how the Enneagram has impacted, and you mentioned you're an entrepreneur. Um, how, is, how has it impacted your business and how you run your business and how you lead? You have a team of people. How do you lead that, that team of people that's based on this knowledge? Well, I definitely lead differently with it, even with my own team and my family, <laughs> with my relationship with my husband and um, with my kids. Of, I think it makes you so much more self-aware to realize um, when you're frustrated or when you're excited about something and maybe the rest of the team isn't sharing that excitement instead of being offended, it's helps me understand, um, where I'm coming from and also where they're coming from a lot better. Um, probably the person I work closest with on our team is a mutual friend of ours, um, Karen, and she is a three. And I would say that we, um, she's a three wing two and I'm a two wing three. So it's actually worked really great together (laughs) because we can totally see where each other are coming from, but it helps me so much to understand, um, what the needs are of my team. I think I can serve them a lot better and make sure that they're getting out of their career, what, um, they want to and what their goals are. That's very important to me as a leader that I'm, I'm allowing people to step in with their own creativity to the role that they have and to see it from their view, because we have a lot of great people on our team that have um, really great expert opinions to bring to it and helping them step into that is very important to me. Yeah, I would say that's probably the number one leadership quality. When we can get to a place where we can treat people the way they need to be treated, we're going to get the yes. best out of them. And we often will treat people the way we want to be treated because we just assume that people share our same views and our same right. opinions and our same, you know, just worldviews too. 
and they don't. And so I think that yeah. is a huge aha to realize that people need to be treated as individuals to get the best out of them and to mm-hmm. serve them as a leader. Because when you're a leader, whether it's um, in a personal space or professional space, your job is to truly serve those people and to help Absolutely. grow them and develop them. Um, so you mentioned, you know, how you, how it's changed, how you lead your family. You know, I get a lot of either stay at home moms or moms that, you know, have a part-time job, but right now their attention is mostly on the family and they'll say, well, I'm not a leader, so I could never be on your podcast. And I'm like, oh, goodness. What? yeah, I can't think of, of any more of a true definition of leadership than parenting. Yes. So, I mean, you're growing and developing and molding these tiny little humans all while not holding them back from their true gifts and talents. And so tell me a little bit about that and how it's changed even your marriage with a better understanding of, of your partner. I would say the biggest impact that the Enneagram has had on me, the biggest area, at least is my marriage big time. So my husband is a nine and I, um, for a long time, I don't think I truly understood even how he would feel loved before the Enneagram. Because I feel like we were always raised, at least in my family, very much with the whole golden rule idea of doing to others as, as you would want them to do under you. And I think there's just something in that is so ingrained in you of, well, I would do this. Why wouldn't they do it for me? And then being a two, it's even deeper of, you know, that why don't they appreciate me? But you're showing them love in a way that they don't receive it. And so I think that really helped me. Um, to understand how I could be a better wife and a better mother. And I think a big piece being a two is that reflection of I'm doing this. Do they see it? Do they appreciate it? And then realizing the real depth behind that has nothing to do with them and more about me and how I am um, putting myself out there and meeting my own needs rather than depending on my husband to meet them. Yes. Well, yeah, I always think of like the, cause I used to do this as well and still fall into this every once in a while, but you take out the trash, like extra loud, right? Like everything's really loud. Like the bag's really loud and you're like, Shh, you know, and you get it in yeah. the trash can and then you come in expecting for somebody to notice that you took the trash out and, nobody, <laughs> did. and yeah. nobody cares that you took the trash out, you know? So, so it's totally. just, yeah. Yeah. I think that we can fall into those very passive aggressive traps. Both oh, absolutely. Nines can fall into the passive aggressive or just thing. aggressive or just plain aggressive. <laughs> well, for you, when you move to an eight, for sure. Like, yeah, yes. you'll let, like, you'll let some of that anger out. Nines have a ton of anger. We just think it's not there. It so we kind of fall asleep to it until we don't. And then we're, yes. and then we're a volcano and people are like, where did that easygoing person go? <laughs> this yes. person is a monster. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think for me, recognizing that anger and that emotion that is there and, and being honest with myself, yes. I'm angry and I'm angry because X, Y, Z has been a huge pivot point for my marriage as well to be able totally. to say, I'm, I figured it out. I'm angry. It took me about a week to figure out why I'm angry, but here is why I'm angry. <laughs> yes. Because uh, I really do think nines are often slow processors because we fall asleep to ourselves. Yeah. Really easily. Mm, and so, uh, yeah, so that's been helpful, I think, in, in my marriage too, for me to be, be able to articulate that. I just didn't have a, a way to articulate that or even know that it was a problem <laughs> until mm. I was awakened to it. So, yeah. 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 And I would say uh, for most of the people that I coach, um, if their spouses or partners do not know their Enneagram number, that's the first place they go when they look at this. They're like, oh my gosh, 
I've got to get my husband or wife or partner to take this absolutely this um, assessment, but then walk through it with somebody or or read through it or whatever that looks like. So, yeah, I th- I think it's a huge win for for all relationships, both personal and professional, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'm so excited too to work with you in the future with our team because I think if that's the impact that it makes on a marriage, just imagine in the workplace how much easier you know it will be. I heard you say on one of your podcasts that it was as though you fast forwarded those relationships and you really got to know each other faster. And I can totally see where that will, where that will benefit us. Yeah. I had a small company I did some work with this summer, actually around COVID time. So we did virtual coaching for each one of the people individually came back together and did a um, group session. And so they basically came in and I gave them, you know, here are the things I want you to share about your type, but then I want you to run with it. I want you to tell your team who you are and how oh, they cool. how they can work to get along with you, you know, all these things. And so it was really great. And at the end of it, um, the person that hired me just said, I just learned more about this team in two hours than I could have possibly learned in two years. That's awesome. Which she's right. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah. she knows how to treat them. And she was really a great leader because that was her intention was to know exactly yes. how to treat them so she could get the best out of them and she could serve them. And, you know, I mean, she was really a phenomenal leader um, and she saw the need for it. So yeah. 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 And I see and, how, and you, how it enables vulnerability for your team. You know, there's not a lot of yeah. times where you're able to just be like, this is why I feel what I feel, or this is why I'm thinking what I'm thinking and having that permission yeah. to share, this is where I'm coming from. Let me learn about you so we can work better together is huge. Yeah. Well, Especially that, during COVID time. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, so that particular team had two sixes on it and sixes are the loyalists or guardians um, mm. and they tend to kind of go to worst case scenario, but they're great yes. troubleshooters. So I yes. love the comment um, from one of them. He just said, you know, in my younger years, I would sit in a room and raise my hand and say, this isn't going to work. And I was always kind of like the naysayer, you know? And so I got that reputation and he yeah. said, I learned that what I needed to do was troubleshoot. So if I saw a problem, I needed to have a solution for it. And so he mm-hmm. was like, then I become a really valuable part of the team because I said, yes. here's the problem that I see is going to happen, which is a gift. We need these people on our teams. Yeah. Uh, but then he said, here's a solution that I've thought about because I've been yeah. watching this unravel over time. And I think this might happen and we need to be prepared for that. And so oh, I thought that's that so was, interesting. Yeah, that was such a great growth um, experience for him and for all sixes, really, to learn yes. to, learn to, to shift it into troubleshooting versus just being negative, you know. And that's yeah. where it comes off, you know, like why can't they get on board? And I'm like, maybe we should listen to what they're saying. Yes. Oh, uh, that's so good, Rachel. Yeah. And as a I leader, have a six in my in my life that is a, a healthy six, and I've felt I wish I could have heard you say that a few years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I've, it's taken me a long time to figure out she is a wonderful person, but I'm so used to flying by the seat of my pants, probably because of that people pleasing of sure, whatever, you, whatever works for you. Right? right. But I would say something like, Hey, can we push back our meeting 30 minutes? And she'd be like, no, but I can talk to you next Tuesday at 6 PM. Like if any wiggle room, I would, and I was like, why is it? Why is that? What is happening? And then once I got to know more about a six and how to just like prepare her and allow that it is such an asset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love yeah. the story that Ian Cron tells about six sixes. So he was here in Indianapolis. I don't know. It was probably like a year ago. And I went to a talk that he did and he was just oh, awesome. saying, there was this 
study that they did in the wild and there were a hundred chimpanzees, maybe it was chimpanzees, anyway, some type of a monkey type thing. So I think it was chimpanzees, but there were a hundred of them in this herd and they were in the wild and they noticed that one of them was extra anxious. Like one of them was always kind of like, you know, looking around, making sure there's not a predator, what's happening. And so they thought, oh gosh, well, this anxious one is holding the rest of the herd back. We're going to remove the anxious chimp. So they Mm. take the anxious one out. They come back months later and all the rest of them are dead. No way. And this is a real story. So all the rest of the chimps are dead because they didn't have that one that was on the lookout that was constantly saying like, Hey, nope, oh we got to move on. There's a predator. So I love that story, especially when That's it applies great. to leadership too. We have to get past this. Oh my gosh. They're just a negative Nancy. Maybe as a leader, it's our job to ask them, you know, if they have a solution to that problem or for them to yes. work on that solution to that problem or pair them with someone else that can help them come up with a solution because they can see the worst case scenario, but others can't, you know? So I just think there's so much opportunity to diversify our teams and to use our real unique gifts and talents. Yes. So we can do the the best possible job we can. So, yeah. Yeah. We're, I think we were talking about this the other day when we were at lunch about someone had said something about sales and wanting to have all threes on their team. Was that yeah. you and I? Yeah, yeah. no, I, yeah, I and, had a request to only hire threes for their sales team. And I'm like, what? yes, no, yes. And I thought <laughs> I heard the same thing. Um, yeah. And I always think, no, like the more diverse the team can be, the better if yeah. you can work well together, you know, of course, but in a healthy atmosphere to really get that view from another person is so, so big for me, yeah. at least. I love, yeah. I love that diversity there. Yeah. Well, and healthy threes are fantastic salespeople, but healthy any number can be fantastic sales. Yes. You know, like it's just all about the level of health and the level of self-wisdom you've created within that type and how you've learned how to grow around it. So I, like I always tell people, I don't care what the number is. The number is not relevant. It's the level of health and self-wisdom within that number and beyond it. So I think- Yeah. And willingness to grow. Oh yeah, totally. I see that. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll close out here, but I want you to tell the listeners just a little bit about what you do. I'm going to put it in the show notes so you'll have, um, you know, the ability to contact Sarah, but I would just love to hear from your mouth what it is that you do and what you're passionate about. Okay, cool. Well, I own a company called the Healing Healthcare Project, and we quite simply help healthcare providers prevent burnout and live intentionally. It's a huge passion of mine. Um, We work closely with Um, different networks to help uh, promote it at the workshop level. But what my big passion is, is one-on-one and getting, getting people like what you were saying to really open up and be able to present themselves to their team um, in a, in a different way and to really use those strengths. So we have found, especially during COVID time, such a need for this of that work-life balance. And that is that is our um, big focus is work-life balance and really helping people come back alive to that place where they're not looking forward to the next cup of coffee or the next time they fall into bed, but really coming alive and being what they were put here on this earth to be. Yeah, I love that. I share a similar passion. So I think that's why why we gravitate towards one another for sure. So definitely. You know there's and there's so much work out there to be done for sure. And I think yeah. the younger generations just aren't going to tolerate the lack of work life balance or harmony or whatever term you want to use. I think that they see the damage it has done for us mm-hmm. to commit to our careers and to burn ourselves out and to not be present with our families. 
So I, I see only uh, more and more future need for that. I know the younger people that I coach, and it's not always the younger, I hate to like stereotype, but the younger people that I coach are like all in on this stuff. Like they want to know yes. everything possible about themselves so they can be the best version of themselves. And I love that. I have a lot of hope for younger generations in the future. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think it's really exciting to get to see people, to get a front row spot, to see people finding their way back to why they started. And that is just, it's like you said, in any caregiving career or service providing even, it's going to be effective. But for me, that niche is healthcare. And I think it's pretty obvious why with knowing my background and how I grew up and just seeing people devote themselves to their career, like you said, that you love, and it's almost like an outlet for you a lot of times, but um, seeing them with that dedication to both family and career and helping them find that balance um, is such a, such a privilege. And I'm, I find myself every day learning from it. Just like you said, it's a constant growth. And especially now in this job that I absolutely love, it is so hard to walk away from and to make those healthy boundaries and make sure that I'm still being there for my family and for myself and, you know, all of these different ways. So I think it's just constantly evolving and such a great asset. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I'm always having to check step myself around my work because when you do something, it's hard to turn it it. off. And so sometimes I say, wait a minute, why did I decide I was doing this in the first place? Because I wanted more work-life harmony, more work-life satisfaction. I wanted to be able to pick up my son from school and Mm -hmm. hear about his day. That was just something I wanted. There's no, there's no shame or shade for people that don't want that design what you want on a personal level and go after it. So I think that is where we both shared something too, where it's like, okay, empower yourself. It it doesn't have to be one way, right? Decide what your way is and go for it. Yeah. More than one right way to do something for sure. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for joining me. If you want to get in touch with her, I will have all of the details in the show notes. And this is a lovely conversation. I know it won't be the last. I know. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. And I just really appreciate everything that you are for the space and for all the leaders around in our community. I just think it's so cool what you're doing and I can't wait to work together in the future. Same to you. Have a good day.